Jazz. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to kind of lean on you a bit, even though I picked out most of these selections. Maybe all of them. I'm not sure. Do you have any sense of who got these uh, Christmas selections for Jazz Bastard Podcast 280, Mike? Say that again? I, I missed the Can, the can you remember who picked out these Christmas selections? You picked them all out. Okay, thank you. I was not sure anymore because I'm very, very ill. <laughs> I'm Pat yeah. Listeners, and I'm in a this haze of flu. entirely your doing, so for all once right. I am not guilty. <laughs> and I'm, I'm fairly guilty, so <laughs> we'll talk about that. So... Mike likes to do a holiday episode, which generally becomes, for the most part, a Christmas episode. And we apologize for that, but there you go. And so we're going to do three historical releases and the two brand new ones. The historical ones include Louis Armstrong, Wishes You a Cool Yule, which is a recently put together compilation of Louis' Christmas recordings. And apparently he did not do a Christmas album, which just gobsmacks me, but I guess he didn't. It just hmm. seems like they were happy to commercialize him. He was a natural fit. He certainly, you know, makes hay of the selections on this compilation, but apparently that's what they had. Uh, we're also doing Shorty Rogers' The Swinging Nutcracker. And I do not have dates or labels for these selections because I've been gone and I've been ill. And uh, then from the, I believe from the 90s, because if it's not, it, it's sure as hell sounding like it. We got various artists, a jazz Christmas. And I think that compilation's on Wyndham Hill, though it surprised me a little bit, because I tended to think of Wyndham Hill as a certain way, and it didn't necessarily match those expectations entirely. So this is a Wyndham Hill collection. I don't know, that kind of surprised me listening to some of the selections. I don't know about you, but we'll talk about that. And then two brand new ones, Ken Serio's A Jazzy Yuletide, and George Bert Bertrand's The Yule Log. So I don't know, what, what, how would you like to approach these? What would you like to do? Uh, my suggestion is to start with, so I do have a suggestion. Let's get the Wyndham Hill out of the way first, and then let's talk about Louie and Shorty together, and then we can finish on Burton and Serio, um, because in terms of jazz content, those two actually have more going for them than everything else. Um, You're right. I yeah, think. these are, a, a lot of these claim to be jazz, but yeah. they aren't necessarily Yeah, the, the Wyndham Hill compilation includes 13 tracks, and it's a variety of artists, including the Braxton Brothers, Top Cats, W.G. Snuffy Walden, <laughs> Lanny Hall, Tim Weisberg, The Flautist, Hiroshima, Todd Cochran, Etta James, Larry Coriel, Ricky Peterson, Paul Horn, Earl Clue, and Jim Brickman. And I don't know, when I hear this, I actually got, I don't like most of the music on this, but I got incredibly nostalgic because it seemed like it was just like a rocket sled to the 90s. I don't know if you felt that way about it. <laughs> I felt like it was a rocket sled to the mall. Um, <laughs> I, just, uh, I don't think this... some of these songs are mall appropriate, because if you're doing what these songs encourage you to do in the mall, 
the mall police are going to arrest you. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, um, I'm talking about um, especially the, the musical style, which is, um, you know, this is light, cool jazz. You know, this is the stuff everyone hates, everyone claims to hate. And we've talked about this in the past, how this sort of music is, you know, loosely derived from fusion. And you have some of the usual suspects here. And then people who, I, I guess, kind of com- belong in the smooth jazz category, but have jazz props like Larry Coriel, right? But yeah, this this to me is like elevator. This is, yeah, I, I didn't like this very much. I didn't think there was a great deal of jazz content here. And I'll be honest, nothing here made me think, you know, I need to find out more about Hiroshima. I got to... <laughs> I got to listen to more Ricky Peterson right now. And, and they're not awful. I mean, uh, you know, all of these smooth jazz stylings, you know, to play in this mode, you have to be good. You have to be competent. I'm just not particularly impressed or thrilled by the arrangements. They're just, you know, middle of the road. They're, so many sense, right? Lots of sense. Yeah. So many sense. It's just, you know, it's anesthetizing music to shop by. Uh, there's virtually nothing here that is going to make you sit up and go, hey, wait, wait a minute. Wait, who is that? You know, um, and I was sad to see Etta James here. I don't think that this version of this Christmas is going to ring anyone's bells. And it certainly doesn't add to my appreciation of Etta James. You know, I don't hate this. It's all perfectly right. fine. But it's also perfectly not that interesting. Um, and again, I just felt like it was a rocket ship to the mall. I felt like, okay, I'm at the mall and I'm looking for colorful socks for this uncle or <laughs> Barbie dolls for you know, whatever. Right. I mean, it, it's just, it feels like music to shop to. It's not horrible. It's competent, but I'm not terribly interested. No one, you know, no one gets these jazz compilations. Usually for the jazz content, you get them because you're interested in the music of the of the season, as it were. Well, it's but, fascinating to me. It's called a jazz Christmas, so the, clearly it comes uh, from a time when people thought this is what jazz is. I mean, because otherwise they would have had upset buyers. So I, yeah, just because it's not in any way, shape, or form jazz, but it's labeled. It's not labeled a smooth jazz Christmas, right? It's labeled a jazz Christmas, but it is in fact. And the, you know, the other thing that surprised me about it is Wyndham uh, Hill. I guess I thought of it as the only label that was whiter than ECM. Right. But it's not, right? I mean, a lot of these performers are kind of really the genre they're mixing with is soul. Yeah. And a number of these songs, you know, one is called, you know, they do A Child Is Born, but let's face it, it's really A Child Is Conceived, right? Innocent child. Soft as a fawn, this child is born. One small heart, one pair of eyes, one work of. 
special Christmas, uh, what is it? Uh, the one that Etta James does this Christmas. I mean, that's definitely like, we are going to sing all night. It's like, no, that's not what you're talking about. Or even the Christmas song, you know, it starts off really smooth and that comes in. It's like, okay, now it's a porn soundtrack. Great. I find it very, very po-faced. And yeah. there's all those swelling scents. Some of the songs are surprisingly religious. The soul is all absolutely straight-faced. You know, there's yep. no sense of any twinkling eyes or smirks or, yeah, I mean, it's just very, very self-serious. And it's not great. I mean, I, to me, I guess, I don't know about you, I thought Color Naturel, Natural Color, was almost like a musical event. I mean, it was not brilliant, but I felt like there's ideas, musical ideas on that song that I kind of liked. And, you know, I mean, Deck the Halls by Larry Coryell, at least it's like competent acoustic guitar playing. It's nothing to do with jazz. Uh, so there's a couple that, you know, were okay. Um, but, yeah, a lot of it is, you know, perfectly in tune, soprano sax, with that special smooth jazz vibrato playing these songs. And every now and then you kind of get a bumping um, rhythm section take that is kind of encouraging you to unwrap each other, I think. You know. <laughs> What's beneath this bow? But yeah, I felt like we covered some marginal stuff before and I thought, well, you know, Wyndham Hill, we, we've talked about it once or twice. We should bite the bullet and look at this and look, you know, see what they consider a jazz Christmas. Yeah. And yeah, it's not. Like I said, I think there's a couple tracks that aren't terrible. I mean, none of these are terrible in the sense of real bad. They're just, like I said, extraordinarily 90s. I don't, I'm sure that some of this music is playing in the mall now, but I feel like it's real dominance. When you hear it on TV, when you hear it as kind of the way music was supposed to sound around Christmas was the 90s. And I, listeners, let me know if I'm wrong about that, because I don't pretend to have perfect chronological memory. If any of you dare to listen to this, if any of you are brave enough to. What, what, is, the year that it, what is the year that it came out? 98, know? yeah. Hmm, uh, okay. And, uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't realize that till I looked at the Amazon listing because I was very bad this, this season did not get my notes together. But yeah, I, I, like I said, I just, for whatever reason to me, and it was nostalgic in that just, this was standard operating procedure. It was a bad one, but you know, there's a period where this was just the way, you know, and now I think, you, you know, you're going to have back to some 40 stuff and 50 stuff and you're going to have, you know, obviously there's always been some rock and roll ones and the Phil Spector album. I mean, you know, the mix at the mall, it's not devoid of these, but it, it doesn't dominate. I mean, smooth jazz as a genre has kind of died in a way that it was a colossus there for a couple decades. I'm not, I don't miss it, but, you know, it was just there was a period when it had some cultural cachet, and then it kind of faded away. Anyway, that's our cultural studies for today, listeners. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. So cool. what would you like to do next, Louie or Shorty? Um, either, either Louie or... Um... Either Louie or Shorty. The we could start with Shorty if you like. I don't or Louie. I don't care. You pick. It doesn't matter. Either one of those two. Well, let's start with Shorty just because you know it's not fair to pit an ant against an elephant in, in terms of trumpet players. So let Shorty go first before Louie tramples all over him.
This was an album I just found out about the existence of. Apparently, Amazon is offering it on CD for $110 at the moment. That seems wow. a little high to me. Yeah, well, they're just full of oh, shit. I'm sure. Wow, that is Discogs, crazy. Yeah. And whenever listeners, you see something like that on Amazon, you go immediately to Discogs, and you're going to find out what, in fact, the market is kind of asking for. And then if you're lucky enough to go to a used store, you might find it even cheaper. But you know, anyway, that's just insane. I love his introduction, right? You know, it's like he's putting on a voice, but I guess that's the way he talked. Hi, this is Shorty Rogers. I hope you enjoy our jazz version of the Nutcracker Suite as much as we enjoyed recording it. Hmm. Yeah. That's his voice, huh? Yeah, I'll, I'll play it. I'll definitely play it for our listeners. And, of course, I don't know what, what you thought of this. I mean, I had to listen to it because one of my all-time Christmas, favorite Christmas albums, certainly in the jazz realm, is Ellington and Strayhorn's Nutcracker Suite, right? I mean, I just I sure. adore that record. I play it religiously every every holiday season. And so here is another jazz musician, mostly known as an arranger, Taking on the same material, what did you think of the Swingin' Nutcracker by Shorty Rogers? So yeah, I, this was this was pretty good. This is the first time I've heard um, Shorty Rogers. I was aware of him as a kind of you know avatar of West Coast jazz. One of the um, I think it's fair to say second rank. I think that's fair of West Coast jazz folks. Um, you know, the, the Bud Shanks of the world, well liked within a certain segment of the jazz listening populace. And I can imagine there was a time when Shorty must have moved a lot of units. Right, right, yeah. You know, and I could, I can totally see, um, I, I, uh, I teach this, uh, I teach this class, uh, for senior citizens over at, uh, at, uh, one of the schools I teach at. Um, and I can remember talking about jazz one time and one of the guys said, Oh, you like jazz. Uh, what do you think about Bud Shank? And I was like, what do you think about Bud Shank? You yeah, know? Um, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, I love all that stuff. I love that West coast jazz. And I was like, Art Pepper. And he's like, no, Bud Shank. And then he rattled off a bunch of names. I'm like, I haven't heard of any of these people. Right. I didn't say that, but I was like, yeah, see, if you choose Bud whole- Shank over Art Pepper, you just, you just failed the test. <laughs> right? I, not that Bud Shank, I, I like some of his work. I, I don't want to like bag on the guy. I, I don't think he's the volcanic talent that Art Pepper was, but he also probably took fewer drugs and lived a more ordinary, or, you know, um, ordered life. But, um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I thought this was perfectly fine and, uh, it makes sense. Uh, so I've never heard any Shorty Rogers music before. I did look at his picture just to, cause I want to be able to pick him out of a lineup, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And uh, so that was kind of interesting. Um, when you said that he was known primarily as an arranger, I'm like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense because this is highly arranged, isn't it? Yeah. But it's it's tasteful, and it actually, you know, it has it has some jazz content. I got I got no beef with any of this. Of course, it's that Ellington and Strayhorn. Um, Ellington has got a far more idiosyncratic and puckish taste on puckish take on all of this stuff, and also. You know, he has he has more weapons at his disposal, you know, right, yeah. um, not that Shorty doesn't. It's just, you know, these are, you know, these are studio guys who can play this stuff to within an inch of its life. And, and they do perfectly fine at it. But, you know, there's no <laughs> there's no Johnny Hodges here. There's no Paul Gonsalves. Right. And those guys probably couldn't cut it. I'm, I'm not sure. But might have trouble cutting it in the studio world. Well, when it comes time yeah. to solo. They're just oozing personality and individuality. And the guys here, I mean, Shorty especially, I just feel like, as a trumpeter, he is not offensive. 
he's 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 okay, you know. <laughs> he's not great. I, I, yeah. I kind of like um, I kind of like his muted playing. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty good. So yeah, these just these arrangements they kind of bounce along, they swing. Um, they're fun. Um, his band is well rehearsed. They're they're tight. Um, I think the soloing is not great, but it's it's always tasteful and interesting. Oh yeah, I mean it's well done. It, it's very uh, everyone here can hold their end up. Let's put it that way. So there's nothing here that I'm going to go, oh, my God, this blew me away. By the same token, there's nothing embarrassing here or there's nothing. You could put this on for jazz aficionados and they would go, oh, you know, that's that's kind of interesting. You know, that's that that, that you know, that's that's competent stuff. It's maybe better than competent. It's not great, but it's good. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was, you know, this if, if this is my introduction to Shorty, then I'm fine. I'd like to hear more. Shorty, I don't need the complete works of Shorty Rogers anytime soon because I have the sense that this is kind of par for the course. I, I don't expect highlights, nor do I expect lowlights. This is just—I just feel like this sort of bounces and swings. It's enjoyable, and I—I I, I enjoy his soloing. I don't think he's great, but I think he's tasteful, and and um, and he holds my interest. And he smartly, you know, none of the solos here. You know, there's no 32 bar. There's no 32 chorus solos. Oh, you no, know. No. When you have a solo, it's a few bars, you know, and it's like everyone knows what they can do and, and how they can do it and, and what they can get away with. And and I feel like this is done pretty well. Um, as far as the arrangements go, I like them. I, I, I didn't feel like he was aping Ellington. No, Did you? No. I, I felt like these were original um, and they had enough they had enough swing. They had enough lilt to them, you know, to to count as jazz. They, they didn't deconstruct any of the songs, I didn't think, but they were good. Well, I feel like he's 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 prone to taking the Tchaikovsky and then moving into some familiar jazz touchstones. So he'll play mm-hmm. some riffs that I recognize from other jazz songs, and kind of just kind of swap into a jazz mode where maybe for a while they're almost playing a different song that is you know from you know it's got some jazz licks in it that I recognize. Couldn't necessarily tell you exactly what song he's copying. And this was something, you know, obviously Mel Torme loved, loved to like throw in quotations from the birth of the cool when he was, you know, scatting or whatever. It, it's a way of these white guys saying, hey, you know, we're hip to this stuff. We're going to kind of drop a quote from it to show you we know about it, even if we're kind of not as hip as the originators. And yeah, so some of these are where he's with a quartet of saxophone or a group of saxophones, which include Ricky Kamoka, Harvey say his name, Harold Land, Bill Perkins on tenor saxes, and Bill Holman or Bill Hood on baritone sax. I mean, you know, these are pretty well named. Obviously, Harold uh, has quite a name for himself on the West Coast. And then so just some of the names from the big band ones include uh, Conte Condoli uh, on trombone, Frank Rossellini, Bud Shank and Art Pepper on alto saxes, Bill Perkins, Richie Kamoka on uh, tenor saxes. So Pete Jolly's on piano in both sessions. Mel Lewis on drum, so, you know, good good players. And then uh, Jimmy Jufri. has a clarinet appearance on, on five. So, you know, wow. he, he's, he's de- dealing with, 
you know, well-known musicians, some of whom had, you know, jazz recording careers as well as studio uh, work behind them. It's 60, 1960 release. And yeah, somewhere from eMusic before I dropped out, I got some kind of enormous compilation of his stuff. I'm sure from, you know, some European country where the copyright had expired. It's just like dozens of selections all kind of mashed together. But yeah, he was, he recorded a lot. I mean, this is on RCA, so I'm guessing it sounds fantastic on the original vinyl. I mean, RCA knew how mm. to, how to cut records. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it's the difference between talent and genius, right? Where yep. Ellington Strayhorn, they take this stuff and they transmogrify it and they include jazz elements, but they come up with this thing that is itself freestanding and it has jazz elements, but also Tchaikovsky in there and it just kind of, it's their mix, alchemy. Whereas here I feel like it's more have some riffs from Tchaikovsky and then move over and include some riffs that we know from big band literature and, and, and jazz songs. Let the guys blow a little bit and then finish up so you can recognize the melody again. And, you know, well done. I mean, it's not, you know, this is very competent arranging and the soloing is all competent. I didn't ever notice if, if Art Pepper soloed on there, he never caught my ear the way he does sometimes. But, you know, it, he may well have and I just didn't catch it. As you say, most of these are very short, concentrated little blurts and then you move on. But, uh, yeah, it's perfectly respectable. I was just amazed because I never knew it existed. You know, I thought, oh, my gosh, okay, well, there is another jazz version of the Nutcracker Suite. Got to hear this. I didn't think it was going to replace uh, the Stray Horn Ellington, and it didn't. But, you know, so I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was fun. Um, I, you know, uh, there's enough idiosyncratic uh, material here. And, again, all the players are talented. It's good. I, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was enjoyable, and I'd, I'd be happy to hear more Shorty. I wouldn't seek him out, but um, – you know, if someone, you know, if I, if I ran into some of his stuff in the used bin, I'd probably grab it because, you know, this is competent. It's it's enjoyable. And, you know, as a Christmas jazz disc, this works for me. I liked this. I could I could put this in the rotation and not not get too much pushback. There are rules around here about uh, Christmas music. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> um, I'm told that I am not allowed to put it into into common uh, rotation uh, until after Thanksgiving dinner has been served. Okay. Which makes it difficult to listen to this stuff before Thanksgiving, and so I just break that rule. Um, but, yeah. Uh, I, but I could see this being in rotation during this holiday season and not getting pushback the way that, for example, I get pushback when I play, you know, Mojo Nixon's Horny Holidays or um, <laughs> uh, some other things. Some other things that I that I that I put on that ostensibly are Christmas music, but yes, horny holidays indeed. Well, I think that the Wyndham Hill yeah. Jazz Christmas is has got some selections you could include on the horny holidays compilation. There, well, they're getting pretty horny. Probably. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening in the land? Snow is glistening, a beautiful sight. We are happy tonight, walking in the winter wonderland. Yep, so uh, moving on then, the Louis Armstrong compilation. Louis Armstrong wishes you a cool Yule. Uh, they've been pimping this on vinyl as well as CD. I got the CD. It's a little 30-something minute set. It's got a couple 
tunes that really aren't necessarily Christmas, including Moments to Remember and What a Wonderful World. And they right. found him reading a visit from St. Nicholas. I think into his, he had a tape recorder and just taped all the time. He just loved playing with it, or his reel-to-reel tape recorder in his home. And apparently he just recorded this, and they came up with it. And then uh, Sullivan Fortner did a piano accompaniment, though I feel like they panned him so far back that it's almost inaudible. Uh, maybe they right. didn't want to, like, uh, upset the dead. So uh, what do you think of this compilation of Louis Armstrong holiday music? Well, so what's nice here is, I mean, Louis is an absolutely and utterly distinct vocalist. Um, and he can't sing anything without putting his stamp on it. No matter what he does, it's it's going to have its own flavor, you know. And so hearing him do standards is just terrific. Uh, he's always going to interpolate and, and change up words and stuff, and that's fine. But hearing him sort of growl through White Christmas is just a treat. It's just wonderful. You know, he's never going to make anyone forget Bing Crosby, but that's not really the point here. The point here is to take a bath in that amazing growl, low register. It's like his vocal cords are made out of rubber bands or something. I mean, they're just... Oh, yeah. they're, they're just fun to listen to him sing anything. Um, uh, I like the, uh, duet with, with Velma, uh, oh, speaking of morning uh, holidays, <laughs> well, everything they do is dirty. Father will be pacing the floor when he's gotta go, he's gotta go. <laughs> really? I'd better hurry. Please don't worry. Well, maybe just a half a drink more. Put some hot records on while I'm full. Neighbors might think. Mama, it's bad out there. Hey, Pops. What's that? What's in this drink? So the two of them doing Baby It's Cold Outside is just going to be, yeah. But I, I think for me, the song I like the most on here is Zat You Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is my new favorite Christmas song. I think it's awesome. It's this weird, it, it's the sort of weird Halloween Christmas song. Like, so it's, it's as if, I mean, he sort of has the take that, you know, there's this sound around the house in the wee hours that it's kind of scary and it could be an intruder or a homebreaker or a ghost. And, he wants to know, is that you, Santa Claus? And it's got the, I don't know what that uh, little tune is. You hear it in like, um, dun, 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 That's some classical tag or something, but it's, it's been repurposed from, you know, Looney Tunes and Warner Brothers as a, as a, you know, haunted music of some kind. And it's, it's a running refrain throughout that stupid song. And man, is it an earworm? I've got, I'm walking around the house all the time saying, is that you, Santa Claus? Oh, I know, yeah. I'm preparing for some Christmas sharing, but I pause because hang in my stocking, I can hear knocking. Is that you, Santa Claus? Sure is dark out, ain't the slightest spark out on my clacking jaw. Who's there? Who is it? Uh, stopping for a visit? Is that you, Santa Claus? 
So I love that, you know, so this is just fun. And hearing him read A Visit from St. Nicholas is fun because, of course, he, he, he models with the words as usual. It's just good. So, yeah, I mean, this is, if you like Louis, especially as a vocalist, then you'll like this. If you hate Louis Armstrong as a vocalist, first of all, go shoot yourself. That's kind of and a then, bad position to be in, yeah. Because you're not a human being. And, uh, yeah, second of all, you know, go 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 take a class in taste uh, because Louis awesome. How can you hate this? Now, if they were playing this at the mall, I would never get any shopping done if I was at the mall shopping because I would just stop and listen. If I heard Zachu Santa Claus, I'm not going to continue shopping. I'm going to start listening to what the hell this is, you know, um, or maybe it's cold outside or Christmas night in Harlem, any of that stuff. So, yeah, this is this just puts a smile on my face. It's totally enjoyable. It's less about the music and more about the voice. Louis Armstrong in the latter half of his career, well, all throughout his career, but especially in the latter half of his career, was just an astonishing vocalist. And listening to him sing anything is always a treat. And so this is a lot of fun. I enjoy it. I'm glad you found this. Uh, I think it's a terrific compilation, and I really like listening to this. Again, not high on the jazz content, but that's not why you come to Louis Wishes You a Cool Yule. You come to it because it's Louis Armstrong. If this was 30-year-old Louis, you'd want to hear him tearing up some of these songs on trumpet. But this isn't 30-year-old Louis. This is older Louis, where his vocal cords are just... And I'm not sure exactly how old. I think these are different tunes. But another way of putting it is the backing is a cheerful, competent big band that is not trying to do anything other than frame Armstrong. And Armstrong will occasionally, you know, slightly improvise on a melody on trumpet or whatever. But mostly it is him singing these songs, and then, now you know, when you've got Ella Fitzgerald, you've got two fine singers to listen to, and they both improvise a little bit around the melody. But yeah, it's not about having other musicians contributing jazz to this at all, or soloing. It's just more the frame. I mean, you know, one thing I noticed about it is the, is the mood of the, pretty much the whole compilation. I mean, obviously, Wonderful World is a sentimental song. It's, you know, I think he dignifies it. But mostly, you know, some of the stuff that's, you know, around like immediately post-war or the 40s, it's just so cheerful, right? It's, it's kind of funny. It's tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. It is the opposite of the vibes you get from the Wyndham Hill, which is so straight-laced and po-faced and just self-serious and, you know, swelling sense and, you know, people, melisma and the rest of it. It's just, you know, it's, it's people having fun. Some of it, I mean, the Velma Middleton track is one of those things you feel like they released it because it had Christmas content. Is it a little bit rough? Yeah. I mean, this is not, you know, I'm not sure if it was released at the time or not. You know, it's not a polished production in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, it's fun. Uh, they're clearly having a lot of fun. And it's a little body, and you wouldn't want to leave it off. But you feel like they're scrambling to get two sides of an LP here. It's like, well, Wonderful World sort of like Christmas. Memories, you can make memories on Christmas. And, yeah, let's throw in this. Re- re- and I actually enjoy, I mean, when he does A Night Before Christmas, it is so distinctively Louis. I mean, if you're going to have somebody read that poem, which you've all heard 10,000 times, I think he does a great job. You know, he's he's somebody that can yeah. do that, where I think a lot of jazz musicians would get two up their own bottoms or overthink it or something. He just he does a great job of reading that poem, um, and I really enjoy it. I, I, don't, I feel like if they're going to have the piano accompaniment, they needed to, like, fish or cut bait. It's so faint that it's almost a distraction. It's like, is somebody playing? You know, and I, I realize you don't want to smother out the original guy that you're featuring. 
you know, we don't need Natalie Cole coming on here and duetting with him or something. <laughs> but I, I just, it just doesn't quite work. I feel like it's so recessive that I'm straining to kind of hear what is it this guy's doing? Whether it was necessary, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, I guess they wanted to make it more of a musical album, so they wanted some music to go with this poetry recital. But I, I don't know. Um, so be aware, it's a mixed bag. It's, it's not a lot of jazz in it, but it's just so much fun. And yeah, I loved, is that you, Santa Claus? You know, with the whistling wind effects. I mean, you know, in mm-hmm. England, at least the tradition is reading ghost stories around Christmas. I mean, in some ways, this is guy invading your home, you know. People have talked about the crossover spooky stuff and Christmas stuff. But yeah, it's just, it's hilarious. And I think they're pretty, you know, the one Christmas in Harlem, when he says the three o'clock, they'll be lit up like a Christmas tree. I, and he laughs. I, I'm assuming he's talking about smoking weed. <laughs> I, I really think I'm assuming that lit up meant that or maybe just drinking a lot. But I, I think it's some kind of reference like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm being anachronistic. So if anybody knows definitively, let me know. But especially when he chuckles the second time he says it, it's like, look, there's an entendre here, buddy. You know, I, he's it's like, ha we're going to be lit up, all right? You know, so and of course, he was a devoted marijuana smoker his whole life. So um, proselytizing and very committed. Um, God bless him. He would be on the phone with Willie Nelson if he were alive today. Right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, compared to a lot of other trumpet players who drank themselves to death young, he did just fine on marijuana, you know. Did all better than Big Spider back and Bunny Bear again and a lot of these other guys. So anyway, yeah, a, a cute little thing. I, I did not get it on vinyl. I, I'm sure it's fun to have it on vinyl. I just, you know, that's, you know, if you want it, I think you're fine either way. Obviously, it's it's been uh, digitally cleaned up. And I thought the sound was pretty good. I don't know what you thought about that. I thought it was fine. Yeah, I didn't have any complaints about the sound on anything this week. I thought it was good. Yeah, I, I, you know, given that I'm, I'm guessing it's a, a real mixed bag of, of where those songs originated. Uh, they did, I think, a really good job of cleaning them up and making them sound um, excellent. And I guess if, you know, probably with Louis Armstrong, there's going to be a lot of good examples around. I mean, you know, he was a popular figure, so they're not like obscure 78s or whatever they were. Okay, so we are now moving ahead every year, pretty much. Our review services send us a couple or more Christmas albums by jazz musicians. I'd like to go with Ken Serio first, the jazzy Yule That's Tom. Fine. And I'm going to let you carry this conversation for a while. What did you think of a jazzy Yule Tide? So um, I, uh, when I listened to this, I didn't do any reading or any you know, research it all. And then just before the podcast, I thought, well, let me just get a look at this guy and look at his website and see what's going on. And uh, as far as I can tell, Kinserio, he's the drummer here, is a dude who sort of came to jazz later. And he plays in a lot of different settings. He's got, you know, different outfits that he's a part of, as so many people are. Um, but uh, I take it that this outing is primarily primarily him and his jazz trio but there are other players here so i don't have the personnel listing handy do you have it no i'm looking for it now 
Well, let me see. Uh, there he is. And yeah, I don't, I don't have it. That's unfortunate. Okay, so on this album, Jed Chilbosky plays. He is the guitarist. I'm sorry, he's the bassist. Sanan Bakir on guitars. Josie Davis on vocals. Tamaka Ono on piano and keyboards, and Cancerio drums and percussion. So it's a quintet, if you count the vocalist. Right. I know Chlebowski is, is in his trio. I don't know if this particular pianist is also in his trio. Let me just pull that up real fast. Yeah, yeah, he is, actually. Okay, so this is his trio, basically. This is his jazz trio plus two. All right, fine. So um, there are a couple of songs here that really grabbed my ear that I thought were fantastic, and some of them have to do with the vocals. I really liked The Snowman Walking in the Air. Floating in the moonlit sky The people far below Are sleeping as we fly We're holding very tight I have never heard this song before it is this weird. Well, I don't know if it's. I don't want to say weird. It's it's called the snowman walking in the air, and it has this kind of. It sounded like a kind of indigenous dirge or lament. I don't know. It's just an earworm for me. I, I thought it was a really fascinating song, and I don't know if this has been written about or if it's you know was composed for this or who's the composer, but. I thought it was a really cool song. I was impressed with it. So that song blew me away. It's this weird sort of... He's playing mostly toms over this kind of minor key dirge, and there's these vocals, and it's about snowmen sort of walking in the snow. Yeah, the, I don't the know, credit it's, is just to Blake. No first name given for the composer, so... All right. I think it's cool. I like it. And then the uh, the other song that stuck out at I me, mean, there's several songs that stick out, but the two that really stuck out were that one and then Sleigh Ride. And what I love about Sleigh Ride is it is basically the vocalist is just tossing out snippets, phrases from well-known Christmas songs, but they're not in any order. And it's all part of, you know, they're playing Sleigh Ride in the background. And she just keeps throwing out words, walking in a winter wonderland, deck the halls. I mean, she just kind of tosses out phrases. And I thought that was really cool. I liked, I, I kind of liked that. Every time it comes on, it puts a smile on my face. Um, so it's, so what's, what's the, the jazz content there is the trio is just playing a perfectly adequate version of Sleigh Ride. But the vocalist is, you know, throwing in, a few lines from different songs, right? Joy to the world. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, but not singing any verse anywhere. Just kind of right. tossing yeah, in. It's like a, it's like a thing you do at a nightclub to kind of entertain yeah, the audience. I liked it. That was terrific. I, I was like, hated, hated, hated it. But that's me. <laughs> really? Oh, I thought I it was a lot it. of fun. I enjoyed it. I, I, I was like, the first time we came on, I was like, Oh, cool. This is kind of fun. Um, so that was, I thought that was interesting. Um, so yeah. Um, 
I felt like uh, the big the big focus here primarily. Um, I thought that the guitarist gets a lot of room to maneuver uh, here and gets a lot of uh, a lot of face time, as it were. Um, for a drummer led date, you know, he does not. I, I didn't feel like this was drums forward, even on Little Drummer Boy, which you know you think, all right, jazz drummer's going to go to town, but uh, it's a fairly sedate. Um, stately version of the song. So yeah, I, I thought this was perfectly tasteful and, and pretty enjoyable for the most part. Um, the, um, you know, the other songs are just these, to me, they're sort of decent jazz versions of some of these songs. I, I feel like he's got a good trio here and I like listening to the guitarist a fair amount. Um, and I didn't, uh, unlike you apparently, I didn't think the vocals were terrible. I thought the vocals were kind of interesting for the most part. I enjoyed the vocal interventions, which thankfully are not on every song. Some of these songs are just straight up instrumentals. So yeah, I kind of I kind of dug this, and I I'd be interested to hear more of this trio. I don't I don't know that anything on this trio made me think they're a great trio. Um, so much as they're good. I I just thought the the guitarist is interesting, and I kind of wanted to hear more of what he gets up to. Um, he has some nice inventive and fairly long runs on deck the halls um that was a kind of interesting song i thought carol of the bells also you know featured him uh yeah nicely that's a good opener um yeah and i kind of like i thought the choice on melika likamaka which is a song that's a total earworm and gets under gets on under my skin gets on my nerves I, i thought they did a nice job of kind of making it a little more bass forward So that was kind of fun. Um, and they get a little bit out on that. They get away from the melody some. So I thought that was kind of clever. So, yeah, I, I thought this was uh, consistently offbeat and interesting and uh, surprising, surprisingly enjoyable. It, it was I, I, I came in with no expectations and I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was pretty good. And like I said, I'd like to hear this trio um, primarily to hear more of this guitarist. Um, but that's not slighting the other members. I just feel like the guitarist was kind of uh, f- forward in the mix in terms of um, improvisation and, and, you know, just, you know, feature time. Um, so I, I wouldn't mind hearing more of this trio just to hear what he gets up to. Yeah, I thought this was pretty cool. What did you think of uh, the Christmas traffic blues? Well, I mean, it was at least a little more. My problem basically is, I, I, and I don't mean this personally, I think she, I'm sure she's a fine person. I don't like Josie Davis's vocals for the most part. Just don't like them at all. And it's, it's oh, just wow. a taste thing. It's, you know, her vibrato bothers me. She seems a little too self-serious. Now, I think for some reason it works really well on Good Night. Uh, maybe because <laughs> she's competing with uh, Ringo Starr, and that's not hard to do. See, now that's the song I like the least on the whole album. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I felt like there was one of the few times I felt like her vocals worked for me. Otherwise, I just, and again, the completely personal reaction, nothing against the, the, her as a person. 
but I didn't did not like her singing, and so this was very you know kind of hard going for me. I like Carol the Bells pretty well, which is an instrumental. Um, you know, I think there the guitar is pretty well. Other times, I think it maybe gets a little stiff. I mean, in general, I felt like this was kind of it had that self produced feeling to me. I mean, you know, like the the Christmas traffic blues, it was cute. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, does this need to be on a recording? Or does Slay Ride need to be on a recording? I'm not saying it wouldn't be fun at a nightclub. I'm saying, does it need to be on a recording? And that's a completely <laughs> subjective question. My answer in both cases is no. But, you know, yours <laughs> might be yes. So, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to pretend I've got some kind of insight into God's wishes or something. But just for me personally, yeah, I, I just, this, this one really got under my skin. And again, nothing against this lady. Uh, it wasn't that she couldn't sing in tune or anything. I just didn't like the way she sang. So, yeah, I, I now I kind of I thought Mystic Nor'easter was is cute because Nor'easter is spelled like Easter, the holiday. Um, yes. I guess it would be anyway, so I don't know if that makes any difference, but I feel like that's kind of a pun. Um, maybe it's because they capitalized the, they're, they're pointing that out. I, I thought that was interesting and that it really, it was like the one time they got out a little bit. Right. And it was more atmospheric. Um, so I kind of like that. But yeah, a lot of the stuff, I mean, for me, Slay Ride was just, if it had, if somehow these call outs had led to something or seemed to be responding to one another or had some kind of second level they were going on, okay, but they just seemed to be literally, here's some Christmas phrases I'm thinking of. And it's like, okay, I mean, you know, uh, again, I, it, it might work at a nightclub. Um, to me, it did not work on a recording, but that's just me. So yeah, this one I found rough going. But, you know, there's certainly some songs on it that I that I enjoyed. And again, I, I got I cannot stress enough, I mean, listen to this, don't take my word for it, because you may love Josie Davis's vocals. And there's nothing, you know, I can't make an argument as to why I, I don't think they're I just don't like them. It's just a subjective reaction. Um I think she's in tune. Um I you know, I would argue her vibrato's a little bit it's not as expressive as I like it to be. You know, I, I, I don't the way she seems to be approaching these songs with her, I don't know if it's fair to call it self-serious. I, it's, again, it's all subjective. I, I just, I don't, don't like it. So, yeah, of the two, this one was kind of the, the disappointment for me. But, you know, I would recommend Carol of the Bells, which again, I feel like is an underplayed tune. I don't know. Whereas a little drummer boy is definitely overplayed and then it's ever been played. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't feel like I hear it that much and it seems like a natural fit for jazzing up. And I don't know, I mean, good night is good night a Yuletide song? I don't know. Whatever reason, I liked her vocals on that. Again, very subjective. Like Mystic Nor'easter. So, anyway. That's my take. Sorry to be a grump. Sorry to be a Scrooge. (laughs) Okay. Well, that puts you in a good place for talking about our last album, uh, George Burton's The Yule Log. In this case, I did read the promo material that we got that comes with it. And here's what I'm struck with on the promo material. Um, so it's George Burton, who's a pianist, a ranger, basically. And uh, 
uh, a bassist and a drummer and a string quartet, right? Right. Um, or a violinist, a violist, and a cellist. So I don't know if the bassist is his regular bassist uh, or if that's they're a part of a string quartet. Anyway, there's a vocalist, string quartet, drummer, and him. Yeah, and I, there's another, there's a second vocalist on at least one song. Um, here's the thing. If you read the promo material, George Burton hates Christmas albums. He particularly hates Christmas jazz albums. In other words, he's kind of grumpy. Um, you know, uh, he's like, oh, the jazz meets Christmas. Ah, you know, it's all humbug. He's a Grinch on this. He's not, he is not, um, let's see if I can find the exact quote. Where did he put it? Um, corny that, Christmas that jams that. are decidedly not his bag. Why do we always have to play that particular game that time of year? And it's like, because you want to sell albums, dude. Yeah. <laughs> because you want to buy shoes. Uh, because baby needs a new pair of shoes. I don't know. I mean, duh. Why do we play that time of year? Well, because it's Christmas, maybe. I don't know. I mean, you don't have to like the season. Right. But it would seem kind of weird to release your Christmas album in June. You know, there's a whole point to doing this thing. So, anyway. In the promo material, he sounded really grumpy, which I thought was funny um, because the album itself, I thought was kind of interesting and enjoyable. And I thought it had the most jazz content of anything. We um, this and um, uh, Ken Serio, Ken Serio has plenty of jazz content as well. These two, there's a lot of jazz uh, here. I love that he starts with Foom, Foom, Foom. I actually know that song. Oh, well, you're ahead of me. Yeah, I mean, it's a cool song, but I, I didn't know it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And starting it off with just the strings is pretty clever um, because it's like, you know, he's it's it's a you know how like if you go to restaurants, they make like, you know, deconstructed sandwiches, right? Where you get the like the the meat and then like the bread comes on a separate plate or something. Oh, God. I felt like this is a deconstructed Christmas carol. Um, and we will, you know, probably should stress right away that when we say string quartet or trio, it is not a backing group playing nice chords. I mean, the violinist is, is out there soloing. Yeah. And in a great way. I mean, I, I just think it's, I, yeah, I really like this record quite a bit. Yeah. I, I know, the song, I, I know the song from other recordings and I, I enjoyed the shit out of this. I thought it was really clever and quite enjoyable to me. And I love that arrangement of it. The violinist is almost in kind of a klezmer mode on that song. Although the song itself is from Spain. So that was, that was, kind of cool and then the, the the palette of songs here isn't the usual there's one usual song here christmas time is here but everything else is more from you know the standard christmas holiday book there is a kind of jazz christmas holiday book you know and certain songs kind of seem to scream out for jazz treatments right winter wonderland sleigh ride they all seem to beg for you know santa claus coming to town these are songs that seem to scream jazz apparently the Holly and the Ivy isn't. No. That's not a jazz song. The rising of the sun and the running of the deer, the playing of the merry organ, sweet singing in the And so that's kind of clever to take that song. Uh, so I enjoyed that. And I think the piano there is really nice, actually. I enjoy his piano playing throughout. 
Little Altar Boy is another not particularly common choice. Did you know that song? Uh, I've never heard it before. You've never heard Little Altar Boy? Oh, no, my God. Well, no. I, I listen to more Christmas music than you. I mean, clearly. Yeah, I've heard that song. Okay. Uh, I mean, I always feel like it's maybe because I'm, you know, raised in an anti-Catholic tradition. I'm like, I hope this doesn't end badly. You know, <laughs> I come here to Little Altar Boy. But, I, yeah, it's a very serious kind of a spiritual questing song. I've no, never ran into it before. So. Yeah, but with dissonant strings, you know, in yeah. parts of it, which just lends it all kinds of plangency. You know, it's it's a it's a the lyrics of the song are kind of powerful in the sense that, like, you know, it's it's a yearning for a kind of holiness that, or yearning for kind of spirituality embodied in a kind of child, right? It's kind of Nick Cave is going to cover it, and it's going to make you really, really worried. It's what the kind yeah. of song it is. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, you know, you, you, it can't be done wryly or ironically, or it loses its point. You know, it has to kind of be done seriously. But that doesn't mean it can't be done interestingly. And that's why I like the dissonant strings there. I think they're, yeah. I think that's clever. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that was really smart. Um, the on the nose choice here is uh, Christmas time is here, and that's you know Vince Guaraldi's fault because it's on the fucking Charlie Brown Christmas album and everybody does it now. I, and I walk around the house singing that song with repurposed lyrics, much to my partner's irritation. Uh, I walk around singing Christmas time is here, blow it out your ear, you know. Uh, it just sort of drink another for beer. It. Yes, yeah, exactly. Drink another beer, shoot it out your rear. Just, there's so many possibilities. I fucking hate that song. Oh, I don't hate and it, but yeah, okay. I I hate it. But he does a kind of bluesy thing on the piano with it, and he makes me forget Vince Guaraldi, and that's fine. Uh, I think that's okay. All Lang Syne, you know, there's stuff in the promo material implying they were all drunk. It does sound a little drunk, doesn't it? Well, I mean, what it says basically is they wanted it to sound drunk. They weren't actually drunk, but they just kind of went at it. And it is fairly chaotic, right? You know, it's just them all kind of digging into it. And I think, you know, they're willing to have some rough edges. As I said, you know, the violin is by no means some pretty little decoration. I mean, they dig in there and it's, it's I think it's great. You know, there's some really good yeah. soloing and yeah. without, you know, it's not trying to be, I, I think for the most part, abrasive or shocking or anything, but it's, it's got some sinew to it. It's got a little texture to it. It's got some figgy pudding to it. There's, there's no sense in the background or like, come here, baby, the fire's on. I'm going to make a delivery in your chimney kind of thing that, uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's a real good one. Um, yeah, yeah I enjoyed it. You know, as we've listened over the years to many, and I think most of them have been certainly likable enough <laughs> to quote. <laughs> uh, I just, I said that and then I thought, Oh my God, I'm doing presidential that. candidate. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he says, uh, vocalist Nancy Harms. Well, that's not a good name. 
Take it easy, Nancy. It's okay. Violinist Diane Monroe. Violist Veronica Jerkwitz. Jerkowitz? I'm not sure. My eyes are kind of unfocused. I, Cellist Mara I, I Dwyer. Can look at it, pronounce it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I'd say go with Jerkowitz. Yeah. Cellist Mara Dwyer. Bassist Pablo Menares. Drummer Nazir Ebal. So, and they bring in another vocalist. And it, yeah, he, he says that he wants to kind of do songs out of the Christian tradition for the most part. Obviously, not so much with a Garaldi. And, you know, they're, they're both having fun with them, but taking them fairly seriously. Uh, it's not like a comedy record, which a couple of the ones we've reviewed have been. Uh, you know, I, I think a certain number of jazz musicians see Christmas as kind of a camp thing, you know, which I, I, I don't dislike campy Christmas albums. But, you know, it's just more that that's the take on it. You can't take it too seriously. And here, I mean, he's without losing the fun or, you know, there's good improvisation here and everything. He is seems to be wanting to make a record that's, that's fairly serious about what it's doing. Uh, but, you know, enjoyable. And as I said, good improv. And I, I just thought it was well. And, you know, I don't know why. Why do I like these vocalists better than the other one? It's not a technical thing, per se. It's more interpretation and to some degree just use of vibrato, which, again, couldn't be more subjective. So what can I say? But yeah, I quite like the vocals here, and I like the instrumentation. I love the violin stabbing in there. Um, I like the selections, but again, I guess I had you, you have a encyclopedic knowledge of Christmas music compared to me, because yeah, I've never run across Little Altar Boy. I oh, guess yeah. I've been going into fancy enough malls. I, I don't know what the, what the problem is there. Yeah, I've, I'm a big, I, I like, you know, I'm kind of a Grinch. I don't like holidays, but I do like Christmas music. I always have, and. At this point, I, I, I've become a little obsessed with getting new stuff. I just get it from the library. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I, I like Christmas music. What can I say? It's the only way I get even remotely in the spirit of Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> and there's songs that, there's certain songs by certain performers that work better than others. But yeah, there's some things on here. I'm, you know, I, I will probably put this in the rotation next year again because I, I this is distinctive enough and interesting enough to um, merit that kind of attention. I, I, I did like this. I liked it best of everything we listened to this year, I think. Uh, of the Christmas stuff. Yeah, I, I think one thing to be said for these Endless Jazz Christmas albums, if they're taken, again, they don't have to be serious, but taken seriously, is it it does give musicians an opportunity to play familiar tunes where so often now it's going to be the Great American Songbook or Originals. Christmas, the rules are pretty well known. For the most part, it's rare that you're going to do an album of all originals. You're going to do at least some covers. I mean, there's this incredible history of Christmas music. And so then at least, you know, we can encourage people that maybe don't know the Great American Songbook but have heard some of these tunes at the mall. They have a starting place of familiarity to hear it getting jazzed up. So I, I don't know that that's a bad thing because it seems so difficult for jazz musicians to take on the task of playing tunes familiar to people who are less than 110 years old uh, or are not jazz aficionados. And this is an opportunity that kind of is built in. You can play Christmas tunes. People are going to know the Christmas tunes. You can jazz them up if you choose to. But you, you're not stuck either playing originals or the Great American Songbook or occasionally my favorite Joe Henderson tune, which again, I love Joe Henderson tunes. Most people don't know any Joe Henderson tunes, right? It's just not, it's not a common ground you can meet the average listener on. So anyway, so I, I'm going to defend them against this grumpy guy, but I like this grumpy guy's record. I think it was well done. And you know, yeah. that's one I would add to, I would add to the rotation. 
and yeah, the, we're recording this early enough, listeners, that it was kind of odd listening to Christmas music early enough to do this, but there you go. It will be posting fairly close to the actual holiday. So do you have any pop matters tonight? And listeners, you can thank us for our sacrifice. Um, so, yeah, um, a couple things. One, you won't know, and the other, you probably will. For some reason, I just uh, got recently the first album by the the other Swedish pop group, Two Men and Two Women, from the 90s. You may remember them. You may not remember them. Uh, Ace of Bass. Have you heard of Ace of Bass? Oh, I've heard of them, and I've always kind of... I mean, I knew they were popular, and I saw their records in bins, and I've never had any idea what they actually did. You know, I, I, I'm sure I must have heard some of their songs, but I've, you yeah. know, if you ask me for an Ace of Bass song, no clue, but I've heard of them, yeah. So this is their first album, The Sign, that I've been listening to, and uh, they consist of three siblings, two sisters and a brother, and another guy. Um, and as far as I can tell, they're sort of like synced, popped-up versions of reggae, and when you think reggae, you think Swedish people. Um, of course, yeah. But they're actually pretty good. And I read somewhere that uh, Katy Perry and um, what's her name, uh, Lady Gaga, are big fans. And once I listened to this a couple times, I was like, yeah, I can totally see that. Like, it makes sense. Once I had sort of listened to the albums, I was like, this does have a kind of lady gaga feel to me you know oh, i i was okay. kind of i would I, it's not often when you read so-and-so really like such and such and you like well why they have nothing alike but when i you know i have some lady gaga and after i've listened to this a couple of times i was like i can actually hear the influence it's it's there it's kind of interesting so uh they're better than i thought they would be i mean if you said swedish reggae synced up i would be like nope no thank you but turns out I was wrong. It's actually pretty good. Oh, and speaking of Swedish groups, I did get my spouse the complete ABBA on vinyl. There you go. There you <laughs> Just go. Just what and she needed. <laughs> probably on, they probably sound great on vinyl. So. I'm sure they do. Yeah, that's um, whatever. <laughs> and then uh, for whatever reason, I can't even figure out. Um, I, I went back to recently um, Oasis's What's the Story, Morning Glory. Um, and I had never paid attention to why the two brothers hate each other. So I had done a little reading, you know, the two brothers being Noel Gallagher, who basically Liam Gallagher is the younger, drunker singer of the pair. I see I, this, this all went by me in the 90s. I wasn't paying attention. And um, apparently Liam had a band that were pretty good, but Noel had songs that were actually good. And Noel heard the band and he basically took over the band and gave them his songs and then said, we're going to simplify the arrangements. We're going to raise up the amps and you guys are just going to play straight chords, nothing fancy. And we're going to be bigger than the Beatles. And apparently Noel's a genius because it kind of worked. They had a run there of five or six years where people were actually talking about them in the same um, breath with the Beatles, which 
I read a thing by Paul McCartney where he was like, oh, no, oh, no, don't say that. It's a curse. If you say you're going to be bigger than us, it's always bad for you. And he wasn't saying it. He wasn't saying you couldn't dare to say that. He was saying, oh, don't, don't. Right. That's just a bad move. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, listen to Sir Paul. He knows something. So anyway, I I re-listened to this a few times, and I actually dug into one of their other ones that I hadn't heard in a very long time. And, you know... They weren't bad. They were all right. They were pretty good. Um, Liam Gallagher is a good singer. I mean, you know, he's, uh, he's not a good. Right. He's good for what he's they're asking rock him to line. do. Yeah. Well, we actually. Yes. So I we talked about Paul Anka's rock swings or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he does Wonderwall, and then yes, our jazz band. We had a really good vocalist, young man from Wabash, and he did that song, uh, which was in six sharps of the saxophones, and I fucking hated it. But I mean, you listen to it, and it's like, I've always wondered, it's like, you're my wonder while all the roads are, are winding. It's like, is this some kind of weird reference to Paul McCartney? Is that who? I, but I mean, mostly their lyrics just make no fucking sense, right? They're kind of drug trips. Uh, oh, yeah. But they are catchy, right? He's able to, they scan correctly, they rhyme. There's some images in there you remember. And he's got these, you know, so that's, I think, the one Oasis album I have. It's about as subtle as a flying mallet, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, they've got some good anthems in that Beatlesque mode and I don't know, I, I've not really pursued them. I mean, they are, you know, the out, the group that has no interiority, right? I mean, the blur was kind of yeah. like, I want to do some navel gazing and this is how I feel on a cruddy Monday and then also some anthems and Oasis was just like, you know, let's drink lager and shout along with this chorus. And, uh, you know, but yeah, I, I think it's, and it's a pretty listenable record. Very, very rich in the process. Oh, which, I know. And then they blew it all up their noses. Yeah. It, it's, well, yeah. Uh, well, so what's fascinating is to read about these two brothers and they make, they make Ray and Dave Davies or, yeah. They make Ray and Dave sound like, you know, choir boys. These guys are fucking assholes and they are so mean to each other. The younger singer brother is, I think, the more, uh, sinning than sinned against. He's, he is a real tool of, uh, right. the first water. He yeah. is spectacularly obnoxious. And apparently he lives on social media and he just trolls his brother all the time. Like he's con- like Noel Gallagher is done. Like he's done with his brother. He's done with all of this shit. And Liam is like, you know, hey, let's put the band back together and make, you know, a hundred million pounds. And Noel's like, I already have a hundred million pounds. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't need to do this. Yeah, if he wrote know? the songs and that's his copyright, he is probably doing just fine. Oh, yes. I mean, so, I mean, apparently he, he they've settled two or three cases where he had to give royalties to someone else because melodies came too close to other people's work. So, you know, he may have a little of the plagiarist gene in him, but right. whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, just reading the the story of these two idiots and, and how they, you know, the one of them is just done. Like the older one's like, you know, I'm I'm through. I I need nothing from any of these people. And the younger one clearly, he's got nothing to do except bitch and moan about the other and one. There have I, been, I, I can't he, remember which one, but there have been solo projects since the breakup. Solo projects, yeah. And I don't. I I've listened to both of their solo projects. I think Noel's probably got a little more talent. Liam is a singer, but he is not a writer. Whereas Noel can write a little bit, you know. And right. so. But look, Noel can't sing, so you know it's it's like together they they form a commercial juggernaut apart. They're kind of irrelevant, but 
like I said, Noel's made all the money at this point, and he's like, I don't need any of this. I don't need sure. this guy in my life at all. And <laughs> just to read the to, to read the history of the tweets is hilarious. Like the younger brother's like, the reunion, it's happening. You know, <laughs> and, and, and Noel's like, not not in this lifetime. You know, <laughs> he's like, you know, see me in twenty years. Um, you know, he's just, it's really funny. So anyway, uh, but the music wasn't bad. I mean, they're they're it's it's effective pop music. They're anthemic. They're catchy. They're hooky. And I, you know, I heard these things when they came out, but I wasn't like a worshiper or a fanboy. But listening to them again now, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty good stuff. I I, I forgot how effective this was as a pop engine. Yeah, and like I said, I wanted to read about their their feud because I had never paid any attention and reading about the feud was actually really entertaining. It's kind of funny to read about the two of them. I was aware of it, but I don't know any details. Yeah. I mean, their, their lyrics are kind of like in that slightly smarter than ACDC category, right? You know, they're slightly smarter than (laughs) ACDC, but you know, that's not saying a lot. It's a specific pop Venn, but a specific area of the pop Venn diagram. There you go. So I've got two things to talk about. One's really bad, and then one's pretty good. Uh, I've been watching the two Ronnie season by season, and so I, I don't know, we're on season six, maybe. And they have musical guests. And so the musical guest on this season of the two Ronnies is the Manhattan Transfer. And oh, boy. I mean, my God, it just seems like they're going out of their way to be dorks. I mean, just, I had no idea it was this bad. I'm like, man, it just, Wow. I don't know what they're trying to accomplish, whether it's some, it's obviously got to do with camp. They're fairly young. Even the singing is like, it, there's some harmonizing, but I mean, I think of them as kind of a quasi jazz act and clearly for the two Ronnies, they were not. And it's no. like, wow, it's just painful, painful, painful. I, I don't know, you know, the costumes, the dance moves. It's just like some kind of megaton of dork has been dropped on me. I mean, they're megaton. worse. <laughs> yeah, it's like, my God, guys. I mean, you know, if you went out to be as just dorky as you could possibly be, you could not come up. You couldn't come up with this shit. You know, it's like, guys, what the hell is this? These little sketches in the costumes. And anyway, I, you know, I was thinking, oh, wow, you know, I, I've never heard of these other guests. So, it, you know, if I looked them up, it's like they had a moderate career in the pop world in England in the 70s kind of thing. You know, they, they were not unknown, but they were not like, you know, megatons. And I'm like, well, I've heard of the Manhattan Transfer. They've got some jet. And it's like, oh, my God, this is just I just feel sorry for our country. You know, it's like, man, <laughs> damn it. Hold up. Hold up for the states. Come on, guys. So that's painful. And then I've talked about it before. I'm going through some of these selections I got. What is this place called with, with Paul in, in Milwaukee? It was like, I can't remember the name. Discount Vinyl. Or we, I think it was called We Buy Vinyl. But they had a like a discount bin with $3. And that's where I got Joe Jackson's I'm the Man, which was, you know, I think and very good to Mint Minus. And I picked up, I, years and years and years ago, I had this on tape, Pete Townsend and Ronnie Lane's Rough Mix. I don't know if you're familiar with that album. No. It's, it, it, it's an odd beast, 
Ronnie Lanyman with the faces. I guess no one knew it at the time, but he was starting to suffer the debilitating illness that killed him. Uh, But he'd be keeping it to himself. And so he and Townsend do this project, and they're kind of, you know, they tend to trade vocal, uh, lead vocals. And it's not clear how much the other's participating on it. And partially it was like to make Ronnie some money because Pete's name was huge at this time. And it's just an odd little beast of an album with some spiritual dimensions to it. Uh, Ronnie stuff is just, I mean, obviously knowing the background makes it more moving, but he's just, yeah, his, his species are just kind of rough hewn and moving. And then, you know, Townsend's got a couple really good tunes on there. One about just kind of things he sees in the city, a couple about, you know, he was really into the spiritual mentor and some of that stuff's on there without being particularly preachy. Given what it was, which was kind of a, you know, collaboration by a couple of names, it's eccentric and it's quite good. Much more than you would think, given the premise. And it is very much Pete kind of deconstructing his rock star persona. I mean, he's kind of like distancing himself from it and mocking it to some degree. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know that it's that well-known a record. Um, the copy I ended up with was pretty damn decent, especially for three fucking dollars. Um, I'm, I'm happy I, I was able to get that. But, yeah, it, it's it, it's just kind of it, it's a weird thing because, yeah, if you don't like one of their voices, then you're not likely to put it on. I mean, you have to kind of buy into both Townsend, who's, you know, an OK singer. Obviously, he was not the lead singer of The Who for a reason. And then Lane is like this rough hewn guy. Um, and they're kind of knockabout songs. But some I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not doing a very good job here of explaining it. But I would say. Get a chance to listen to Rough Mix. Do so. You might find yourself liking it after a couple of lessons pretty profoundly. In some ways, you might enjoy it more depending on your, your mood or, your, or the type of person you are than some of the Who stuff because it's less rock star strut and more just kind of people thinking about human issues on a human level with, you know, great musicians providing the backing sound. So I would recommend Rough Mix. I would not recommend seeing the Manhattan Transfer on the Two Ronnie show because it is humiliating to our country and to the art of jazz singing. So, of those two, I'd say choose Rough Mix. Okay. And that concludes Jazz Bastard Podcast 280. As always, you can look us up at mikejazzbastard.com or pat at jazzbastard.com. You can drop me a line on Facebook or look me up on All About Jazz. All About Jazz streams the podcast, which can be downloaded from www.jazzmaster.com, Mixcloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you know the drill. Tune in next time as we do a series of albums all led by tuba players, tubaists. We're going to include works led by Howard Johnson, himself, Dave Bargeron and Michelle Goodard, Ray Draper, and Bob Stewart. Until next time, take care.